Well, we're back with the crew of the 6561 uh, out in Humboldt. Um, just trying to do a mountaintop uh, medevac on a fire line. Um, they've landed. They're getting gas, trying to come up with a new plan, and trying to see if their command will let them uh, go back out again and, and give it another try. Awesome. Yeah, welcome back, guys. Uh, so let's pick back up. We landed at Reading. What's going on now? Uh, so at this point, um, the, we're waiting. The field guy got there pretty quick. So we're kind of, um, the guys are scrambling again, catch the idea of uh, kind of um, field stripping, as he called it. The, the We refer to it as the Super 6-1 now. Um, <laughs> but so they were starting to uh, think of, think of different ideas, taking stuff out of the aircraft, that sort of thing. And uh, I called back to uh, Commander Hillary, our ops spot, to uh, just go over everything that had happened, um, give them kind of, you know, if they're going to let us go, what our new plan was. We had already kind of talked about doing, uh, one, field stripping the aircraft, and two, uh, doing the lad to the litter augmented double pickup. Uh, obviously, none of us had ever, ever done it before, but we heard about it and kind of came up with a, idea of how to do it uh, safely. And so um, I pitched that to Commander Hillary as well, and then just gave him a quick assessment of what Grant had seen on scene of the, uh, the firefighters' uh, overall condition and that they were definitely, uh, um, one, not good health-wise, two, not good. There was a active fire um, encroaching around them every second. So um, I was talking to him uh, while the crew was doing all that, and I was so gassed at this point. Like, I think at this, it's like two o'clock in the morning, uh, over four hours of flight time for our duty day. Uh, so I was definitely fatigued and, uh, commander Hillary was helping me with just basic public math at this point. And we were running the numbers on how much fuel we could take, how long we'd have on scene. Um, and we both came to the realization that there was pr- not a whole lot of chance of us getting both firefighters at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of made the decision we were going to try for one. And, uh, um, at that point he called back to our command center who then called the, uh, uh, dispatch and instant command. And they were going to release one of the reach helicopters, uh, with the assumption we're only getting one guy. And then the fire team was going to start hiking whoever the least critical patient was, uh, down this cliff to, uh, to the trail where an ambulance could get them. Um, but uh, after going over all that, Commander um, Hillary was still good as long as, uh, you know, we did good risk management throughout the flight um, for us to relaunch and uh, try and execute our, our new plan. Um, so, yeah, by the time I got off the phone, they had unloaded the aircraft. I think we estimated like 200 pounds worth of stuff. We took our the, the raft out of the back, the basket, the starboard, all the oil and consumables for the aircraft got taken out. All the pubs got taken out. Um, anything that wasn't, you know, physically nailed to the aircraft, we pretty much pulled out of there. Uh, I think except for my helmet bag, which is good, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think we, uh, we thought we saved about 200 pounds and, uh, kind of quickly did another crew brief and risk management, um, confirmed we were still high risk, but high gain, uh, with a reasonable chance of success at getting at least, uh, one of the more critical firefighters out. That's awesome. The command uh, like really enabled you guys to to make some of those decisions. You know, it sounds like some some good phone calls, um, but also some good support from back home. Yeah, um, yeah, I can't say enough about Commander Hillary. He was definitely a clutch for me that night. Uh, one, uh, you know, having faith in us to go out 
and two, just backing me up with all my uh, planning and risk management stuff. So, yeah, I think Commander Hillary is actually here for his P course right now. He's the skipper Savannah, I believe. Yeah, 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 sir. yeah. that's awesome. Oh, okay. Should have had a yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should have. That would have been smart. It would have been smart. <laughs> um, all right. So the new plan is we got a lighter helicopter. Um, would you call a battle stripped or something? Yeah. 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 We said field stripped. Oh, yeah. field stripped. Yeah. 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 We're going to go battle stripped. Battle stripped. <laughs> battle ready. Um, so new, new, uh, newly stripped uh, Super 6 1, ready to go back out. Um, trying to get on scene to pull one person out. And then was a plan to come back to Reading for the uh, the evac? You said there was uh, the EMS helicopters were reach, like ready to take the guys to a hospital with some good care on board? Yeah. So um, at this point, yeah, I left that out. We were going to kind of just commit to bagging out for the night. And to give us a little extra time on scene, we changed our bingo uh, field to that Weaverville airfield. Uh, basically, just a small little strip surrounded by trees. Um, and then, yeah, the plan was still to take anybody we got out to the Reach helicopter that was still there waiting for us. And they would, uh, you know, be a high, higher level of care to deliver them to the hospital. Nice. Awesome. All right. We're headed back out. I'm assuming that it was super easy to get into a hover again uh, over that fire zone. <laughs> so, yeah, we headed there. And this time, you know, we had a plan from on deck because we had already seen it. So we had a, you know, we knew exactly how we were going to do everything for the most part, how we were going to do the approach in, how we we're going to do the LADFU. Um, and then, you know, talking on the way out there with the LADFU um, and the, you know, possibility of taking one of them out of the litter and pushing them back because now we had a whole full baggage compartment tail cone back there with nothing in it. Talked about being able to put one of them back there and then lad two back down to get the second one. Um, so, you know, our, our plan of only getting one, we hadn't abandoned that, but uh, we, we definitely all saw the possibility of maybe getting both of them out at this point. Oh, so you're saying, uh, so you have, they're both on backboards, so you're running out of... Yep cubes in the helicopter and you're talking about well we'll just stick one of the backboards back in the tail and grab the other guy nice exactly yeah, yeah. uh yeah definitely nothing i thought i'd ever do in a 65 but, it's been done uh, it's been done before but i'm sure it, yep. was, a, it was a good discussion <laughs> uh can yeah. you guys just i mean we're kind of doing lad poo testing here in mobile right now trying to bring that um, like tomorrow we got another one yeah we got another flight tomorrow but um, Graham, what is, what is lad poo to you as a swimmer? Well, lad poo, it, you know, I had heard of it being done, um, in kind of very, very special situations, but it had always been said like, but we don't do that. We don't do lad poo, but it has been done before. And then you see, you know, other, other services and uh, other helicopter companies, they, you know, they use that technique regularly. And to me, it's a time-saving, evolution-saving uh, technique, you know, because we can really cut that whole hoist out of the delivery of the, of the litter down. Mm-hmm. Um, so while we were on the way out there and we we're discussing like, well, now that we have this new, this new toy, what can we do with it? So I'm sitting in the back kind of doing swimmer math, like, all right, we put two trail lines together and I connect in here to the litter and I go down I can get the guy, I can come back up, you know, get, get him out of this, go back down, pick the other guy. So I'm kind of trying to get like evolution math in my head while 
hopefully letting, you know, the guys up front just make sure we don't ball it up into the fire. So once we came to the conclusion, like we actually have a possibility here of getting both of these guys, if we've got the gas, like let's just shoot for it. Um, I started to think a little more critically about the litter and like, you know, this lad who idea. And it kind of dawned on me too, like, well, we can also save time at the bottom of this evolution. If I hook up, go down and then have whoever's tending the trail line, just keep the hook on the bottom so that we don't have to do the whole up, down, up, down with the hook. If he just holds onto that hook and like gives it a little bit of slack or pays out as needed, Mm -hmm. then when it's time for me to hook back up and head back up, the hook should be right there and we can kind of start. I was just, all I was thinking about was shaving seconds off of what I knew was already going to be a tight time frame mm-hmm. for, for these rescues. So um, it turned into invaluable, that technique uh, for this particular rescue. That's awesome. So the plan, uh, your plan now is, okay, so ride, ride down with the litter and then have the hook stay down there, unhook the litter, walk the litter up 25 feet, whatever, to the uh, to the firefighters uh, to be able to medevac them while the hook stays on the ground. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So head down on a trail line. Um, you know, as, as I'm coming out, so basically the way that I, the way that we did this on the first evolution, and we, we did learn some lessons, yeah. right, like on the spot. So uh, Tyler got the trail line down. We had two trail lines connected. Um, with some extra weight bags. Uh, he got those down on the ground. Mr. Ombi is giving, you know, basically instructions. When we arrived on scene, we started talking to the incident commanders. And, oh, yeah, as a matter of fact, well, we, we can discuss that. So on, on the way there, we got in contact over the radio with the incident commanders and found out that, you know, they had started hiking one of the patients down the hill. But in the hour and yeah, hour, hour and 15, hour and a half that we had been gone. Just like you said, you know, uh, swimmer thinks he's just going to be there and back. We'll be right back, buddy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, in an hour and a half going to refuel and get back, they had only gotten him 40 feet, uh, away from this original position. So that's how steep and like, you know, rugged this terrain was. So, wow. uh, we got on the horn with them and we're like, Hey, listen, we're going to try to get both these guys. And he said, okay, we'll, we'll start hiking the other guy back up. So, by the time we got in position, um, we noticed that the fire had significantly crept down the hill and started surrounding that area that they had cut out on three sides. So you just see that the, that the line that we had seen further up uh, the hill had, w- which you would think is a defiance of physics, uh, that a fire would just burn uphill, but it had somehow crept its way down the hill and surrounded their little clearing. So... You know, we're starting to take that into effect. Like now we're going to be hovering over the line of fire itself. Uh, so Tyler got everything hooked up. Uh, trail line goes down. Mr. Ombi is kind of giving them instructions on the way that we want them to uh, attend that trail line. On the way down, we were kind of directly over top of the guy that was tending the trail line. So what ended up happen, happening was like I started to spin like a top, um, even though he was keeping good tension on the line. But just because it was directly, you know, up and down or whatever. It was up and down. Yeah, it was plumb. There we go. Plum. It was plumb. I just started to spin around uh, uh, that axis of the rope and or the trail line and, and the cable. So it was a little bit of a little bit of a spinny ride. 
Um, we need those in the swimmer here, recruitment videos going down on a cable spinning in the middle of the night with fire on three sides on a mountaintop at three o'clock in the morning. That's Boom. the one. That's, Surrounded by redwoods. GoCoastGuard.com. Yeah. yeah, that's how you hook those kids into boot camp right there. <laughs> so once on the ground, I disconnected the litter, uh, disconnected myself from the hook, and handed the hook to the uh, to the firefighter. Um. Oh, and the lesson that we learned up in the plane, sorry to jump around, but I hooked up to the litter inside the plane. Oh, so yeah. basically, tried to maneuver the litter. And, and tried to maneuver. So this is the lesson learned that you guys can use for, for your lab who testing is uh, initially I tried to hook everything up inside the cabin and then scoot it to the door. And it just turned into a jumbled mess, like trying to get the litter past me sitting in the door. Mm-hmm. It was just a real mess. Mm-hmm. So it, it was really awkward trying to get everything outside the door. Um, it was way better when we were talking. Yeah, about we were talking about inside. It sounded like it was a great idea. Yeah, just bring the hook back here. I'll get everything hooked up in the cabin. I'll scoot it to the door. But that wasn't really the case. So um, once on the ground, like I said, handed the hook to the firefighter. He tended. I just told him, I was like, hey, listen, man, just keep this hook down here. If they kind of pull away, just let a little bit of the rope out and you'll be fine. So I just picked up the litter. And started trying to scramble up this this cliff uh, up over the trees and stuff. And it wasn't too far, like I said, like 25 feet. And handed it to another firefighter. There's a big group of them there at this point, like maybe five or six guys standing around the uh, the patients. And I just kind of started giving instructions. I was like, "Hey, listen, here's what we're gonna do." I, I kind of planted my feet in the ground, um, kneeling next to the first guy. I was like, "Is this you know found out the priority of who's going where?" And then I was like, "All right, let's rotate this guy over." We'll get the litter underneath, and then I'm just going to have you guys start helping me hook up these buckles. And th- I mean, those guys were great. They followed directions and were, were making sure that everything was clear. And I really feel like I was there for maybe three minutes mm-hmm. at tops. Like wow. it was just the quickest litter evolution ever. That's impressive. So everything's hooked up. I, I just leaned over my shoulder, and the dude with the hook was right there. I was like, all right. And he had already walked it up the hill to me. And so he hands it to me and I connect it to the lifting V rings, made sure everything was clear, not twisted up. And I knew that on the ground things were a little smoky and that I didn't know if Tyler could see me or not. So I just kind of hit the radio button and said, ready for pickup. Uh, Mr. Ombi came back over and goes, uh, what was that? I go, ready for pickup. And not a second later, I was off my feet. Yeah. Heading back up. Wow. Yeah. I'll take, uh, let's take a quick pause here. Cause I don't, I don't think we really mentioned the fact that, it's really smoky there. Um, from you, you guys in the in the cabin the whole time, what was that like? You guys are at like candy stripe length again, almost on the cable, right? So yeah, it was easily a two hundred foot hoist. It wasn't quite to candy cane uh, the second time around, but uh, the first hoist where we got the guy with the femur breakup, the smoke wasn't too bad. The fire was close definitely way closer than before but it wasn't directly underneath us so the smoke wasn't too bad you could smell it but you couldn't really see it at that point so it's more of like an eye irritation maybe starting to mess with your throat a little bit um so like grandma's saying uh you know we got him down and then i just tried to stay perfectly plumb with wherever graham was going because i could see his you know, his glow stick on his helmet. So I was conning uh, Mr. Schrammel, you know, just to stay plumb over Graham wherever he went. 
just so as soon as I saw any kind of signal, we could get going. And, uh, and yeah, Graham threw up the signal, but of course he's so far away. I was like, I think I've got the signal. I'm not really sure. So, and then uh, so I'm already getting, I'm already starting to slowly take in Slack and then he comes over the radio, says it, but we couldn't really hear him. So we asked him to repeat. He says, we're good. So he's on the way up We get him up. And, uh, you know, at this point we're wrestling this man into the baggage compartment. You yeah. Know? He's a big boy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 280 pounds. Yeah. Oh, so man. me and Graham trying to get him. I mean, it's a solid half foot step up between the cabin and the baggage compartment. So we're trying to get this guy out of the med, out of the uh, litter, still on the med board and lift him over, uh, over that lip, slide him into the back. Are you guys familiar with the swimmer squat? <laughs> do, you, do you know that yes. one? Yeah. Yeah. You see, Especially you with see the him litter. in the back. Yeah. 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 Just squatting in the back. Yeah. So I was just squatting next to this dude, trying to get the head of it over the lip into the tail cone. And just like everything we had, Tyler and I, to get this guy out. Come to find out that the backboard was hung up on one of the buckles. And we just weren't seeing. We were just fighting it this whole time. Oh, man. And so through all of that, like in the squat position, I managed to throw out my back like right there. And it's just like I let out like, a big old holler. Oh. So, and, you know, once I like took a second, like went down to a knee and like realized that it's just this buckle stuck. Um. We, we disconnected yeah. that, and then he slid right out. Like, it was, it was not great after that. Now, like, I'm in agony. <laughs> yeah, and then we hooked up for the second hoist, and as we're doing that, so we get him back in the tail cone and just slid him all the way in the back, and it cleared perfectly. Um, and then the second time, realizing what a cluster the first one was to do in yeah. the cabin, mm-hmm. I told Tyler, I just yelled at him, I was like, put the litter outside, yeah. and then I'm going to come to the door, and I'll hook up from there. Nice. And that worked like a dream. Yeah. That, that was for sure the way to do it was just have the litter all hooked up, boom it out the door, and then call the swimmer forward, get them all set up, keep them on the gunner's belt, let them uh, bring, boom it back in to him so he could hook up. As soon as he hooked up, you know, tapped him on the chest, threw the gunner's belt back, and then boomed them both out together. Yeah. That was definitely the best way to do it. Just breeze. Yeah, something you said almost for playing that like uh, litter Tetris on like your training flight, right? Like, oh, leave the litter outside. Like, well, yeah, maybe there's a lot to be learned by not leaving it outside. Yeah, yeah, without yeah. a doubt. That's awesome. Doubt. That sounds like a good plan. I, I've I've tested that uh, some of that lad poo stuff out. I think we came to just, like a similar conclusion. Yeah, like trying to move the the awkward shaped litter that doesn't fit out the door with nothing attached to it very easily, and then like you know an, a uh, a swimmer with all his. Uh, brand new mountain gear on. You don't want to rip any of that stuff as you're, yeah. as you're climbing out. Oh but, yeah, man. It better not put a tear in my Arcteryx jacket. <laughs> yeah, those things are nice. That's my, that's my go-to. You get, get another one though, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'll just order another yeah. one. It's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, this is a year ago now. So, uh, the, uh, the other thing that I would say was a big lesson learned and this kind of came after the fact, uh, especially after people had seen the hoist cam footage was, um, a, a few guys that, you know, were formerly ASTs now operating in the, uh, the PJ world were, were quick to add, Hey man, you, if you would have just connected that trail line to the foot of the litter, you would have stopped that spin right off the bat uh, uh, instead of like our normal way of connecting to the hook. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. so that's something maybe to think about. Yeah, I know. I, I know that at Ahars, they, they teach various ways to connect that trail line. One of them is to tuck it in between the, uh, floats, 
the flotation on the side of the trail line and where the bat yep. and the litter is. Yep. Um, for sure. That's a good point. Yeah. We've all seen the, inf- the, uh, the infamous uh, video oh, online oh, of that yeah. lady going for a tornado. Oh, yeah. Um, Derek, were you white knuckled at this point? Yeah, I had been for a while. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, I think I left out too. When we got off scene that second time, uh, when we talked about the fire had, uh, kind of encroached down slope and was surrounding them now on three sides. Well, that third side was our approach path that, um, we had used on the first one. Uh, so since I was, I had already done that. I still wanted to try it, even though it would have taken us over the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got on that approach path, and uh, I was pretty happy for about a solid 10 seconds as we were coming up on the uh, clearing. I was only pulling about six to seven um, FLI and uh, failed to realize it's because we had a fire underneath of us with uh, severe updrafts. And as soon as uh, we, the nose got over that clearing and lost the updraft, um, the bottom of the helicopter just fell out and definitely didn't have the power to arrest it. So we had to fly out, um, over the trees again. Um, so at that point we made an approach pretty much straight into the cliff. It was the only part coming from the West that wasn't on fire now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I got into uh hover there and, uh, talked about the hoisting altitude. Um, after the first one, we were a little bit more, I guess, comfortable being down in between the trees and stuff. I, I, I wouldn't say comfortable. We had some but, branches sticked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we knew just how long it'd taken for that first one. Um, so we tried to get a little bit lower and it was, uh, um, made it, I don't know, didn't cut much time. So we're still, it was hard to tell on the rat out any time you drifted at all, it changed by 25 or 50 feet because of the terrain. Um, but I would estimate we're in anywhere between 175 and 200 feet uh, for those second and third hoist. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the smoke wasn't too bad on the first one. It would blow in and out. Um, but then yeah, on the second one, uh, once we put Graham down, uh, pretty much once his feet got on deck, um, somewhere around that point, Tyler just said, Hey, that fire is right, you know, right under the tail now. And it was kind of climbing those trees up towards us. And like that, when, when, when Graham was on deck for that second hoist, it was hard to see anything that, I mean, it was a good, uh, very good demonst- visual demonstration of how rotor wash, um, circulates because it just, and it sucked that smoke up sent it right through the cabin in the cockpit down out around and then back up through the rotor wash again and it was just cycling it through and it was it was uh pretty hard to see anything yeah did your your torque margin kind of go i mean i assume it went up a decent amount when you put that 280 pound firefighter in the cabin yeah so we picked him up uh, i want to say so we were a solid 10 percent in a hover i think we're right at Um, 9.0 then we picked him up uh yeah with graham and 200 um gram waves but it was a pretty good right wing yeah. dip uh, when we picked the first guy up. Uh, so I think we're, we pulled up to like 9.8-ish uh, to maintain a, a steady hovering altitude there. Um, and then, yeah, kind of just held that to once they got up. And then after we arrested that first little rate of descent, um, it kind of leveled back out down to 9.2 or so. Yeah. Did, um, did you have any thoughts about over-torquing and, uh, you know, hey, we're just yeah, going to accept so, it and continue? Or what were you thinking? Yeah, so... I, Adam had been calling out on the torque margin and stuff and doing like perfect timing on him. Um, and I think it was during the first hoist, uh, he said nine point something. I was like, at that point I was like, Hey, you know, we're in here now. Um, you know, warranted risk. Well, I didn't bring all this up. Obviously I just said at this point we'll accept an over torque mm-hmm. was all I said, but in my mind I was thinking of warranted risk, but 
understood. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Nice. So Graham's on the way so, down, yeah, make it down, and then uh oh sorry to interrupt you, you got something else? Oh, I was just gonna say like when they were offloading the guy into the tail cone, like um that's kinda when I realized how much I was depending on Tyler. Um because like oh, we had yeah. briefed before we put uh did the first hoist, like, hey, this is all one hoist, like we're probably gonna need continuous conning fans all the time not realizing Tyler was going to be in the back, you know, helping Graham get this guy out of the litter. Mm-hmm. Um, so as soon as he kind of, you know, stopped looking outside, turned around, um, it was kind of a combination of no conning command um, and smoke. just hearing, yeah, smoke, hearing the guys in the back. I mean, they were grunting, grunting <laughs> yelling. You could hear the guys, you know, the firefighters Green. yelling and pain, like significant distractions in your helmet um, and no conning commands, like, I think within five seconds of Graham coming in the cabin, um, I ripped the trail line out of the firefighter's hand uh, just because it was, you know, pretty difficult to maintain a hover mm-hmm. uh, without getting, you know, constant feedback on how I was moving around because of the smoke and stuff. That's gnarly. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, and that was something we touched on when we were on deck in Reading with me and Mr. Schmel t- talked a little bit, and it was just along the lines of, hey, when it comes to conning commands, everything's going to be easy and I'm just going to be constantly throwing you directions. I just want everything to be an easy movement. So at that point I wasn't calling out distances anymore. I was just saying right forward, left back, down, up, whatever I needed to say to get where we needed to go, get us moving in that direction. But, uh, yeah, like you said, I, from however long it took us to get that guy in the back, I came back to the door and the trail line was in a tree and I was like, Oh crap, you know? Oh yeah. (laughs) But, Good piloting up front. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we had to con around a little bit just to get that trail line free. And then uh, we conned it back over to the guy who was uh, originally tending it, got it back in his, hand, his hands. And then that's when uh got the trail line, or not the trail line, but the uh, litter out the door. And then got Graham attached to it, sent him on his way down. And, yeah, just another, it's still a long ride. That whole that whole trip down, yeah, like yeah, it just seemed like it took forever. It, it yeah. definitely did. And the entire time, at this point, he's on a trail line. There's not there's not really much to watch for the flyback standpoint as as long as it comes to the swimmer because that trail line's going to keep him perfectly plumb anyway. So at this point, I'm looking at the trees. I'm looking at the fire. I'm like just looking at everything around us. We've got trees underneath us. We've got trees in front of us. We've got trees to our left. We've got trees behind us. The fire is quickly moving underneath the tail and that's when then that's when i called it out to mr shamel i was like hey that fire's moving underneath the tail and then of course graham hits the deck he disconnects and then i i'm pretty sure the tail was just sucking up the smoke from the uh fire underneath us and then pushing in the rotor off into the into the main rotor and the main rotor was just sending it down and just a spiraling black tornado it was uh Definitely not a fun spot to be. I lost a lot of visuals. I would clear up here and there so I could faintly see Graham and keep us plumb over Graham. Uh, and then, you know, he called ready for pickup and uh, we started taking him, started bringing him up. And the second he probably cleared like the lower tree line, which was about 50, 70 feet, uh, 75 feet tall of trees, uh, it just turned black. Like the smoke got so bad. And at this point, my main worry was, yeah, I can't see Graham, 
but there's also trees like right underneath us. So I'm as far out of the helicopter as I can get, like looking underneath the belly to make sure that we're still clear of those trees. And, you know, and then here comes Graham coming through the smoke with the survivor. <laughs> get, uh, you know, we get them in, get all settled. And, you know, Mr. Smell's like, hey, we got to go. As soon as you guys are ready, we need to rescue checklist part three. We got to get moving. So as soon as we got him in, we, we got uh, the survivor and Graham in, disconnected them through the trail line out everything and then we were booking out of there is uh definitely the smoke got super bad at the end yeah, yeah we still had a, a by the time we got the second guy up like we still had a, a couple minutes left till bingo but i i vividly remember to this day like when that smoke got bad i was like Shh, you're effing lucky this is the last guy because we've got the gas but like i was worried we weren't able to get him back up before that fire kind of just advanced under us more and we wouldn't be able to see anything. It was, it was pretty scary. Uh, yeah. I, I just remember in my mind to this day, like, thank God this is the last person. Cause yeah. there's no way we would have time for another voice after this. Yeah. It's crazy uh, how much time the lad poo saved you, I guess, uh, you know, yeah, putting no, Graham down sure. and then just saving a hoist there. And then, you know, when you pulled the first guy up, it sounds like it took both of you to, to just position him in the aircraft, get him out of the, uh, the, the litter and then you know get back down the hill that i mean you probably cut the hoist at least in half yeah yeah without a doubt yep. yeah what were you guys looking at hoisting are you look is a hover page adding any value you're just trying to hover like a statue right and like just look at some trees yeah don't yeah move. so um we started out uh at the beginning of that second story with both of our landing lights kind of in a position for tyler to see um and then I, I just couldn't, I didn't have any references at all. Like, again, the NPGs were useless. Um, all I could see was blurred out fire and flames. Um, and then, you know, trying to hover with like branches and stuff. And then you got embers blowing by branches, like just burning shit rolling down the hill. Like, a, like it was just hard, like not any solid references. So finally I had to take my landing light. I kind of aimed it like level and to our right a little bit just at this one tree that was right out you know, at our um, two o'clock position. And, uh, you know, I was like, sorry, Tyler, but I, I got to have my light at this point. Um, so he, he was able to use a co-pilot landing light, um, took some doing to get it in the right spot, but it definitely, yeah. uh, definitely helped. That's awesome. Yeah. Hair standing up in my, uh, my arms right now shakes. This is crazy guys. Um, cool. So you're getting out of there and then you're heading to a field that doesn't even have gas, right? To just drop these guys off. Yeah. So we, uh, we call for rescue checklist part three and start transitioning forward. As soon as I looked forward, um, thinking it was going to be easier. It was like all of a sudden crap. Here's all the visual illusions back again, um, from trying to switch back to NBGs in this Canyon. And I immediately without knowing went like 15 degrees nose down on my, uh, ITO. And uh, luckily, again, Adam was there to keep us uh, from <laughs> controlled flight and terrain, into terrain uh, and uh, caught us back to a, a level attitude. But then uh, we were approaching the other side of the cliff that were canyons. We had to do a, a pretty tight left turn to avoid that. Um, at that point, I gave Adam the controls, uh, and it was up to him to find Weaverville, which turned out to be a lot more challenging. Yeah, we, I, the guys kind of just stayed where they were. There was not, there wasn't really much to do with rescue checklist part three with 
the two guys in a litter back there. Um, so he pretty much just got the door closed. Uh, we did some level off checks and started trying to find Weaverville, which none of us, neither or none of us in the crew had ever been there before. Um, there's no lights, you know, no weather, no AWOS, no ATIS, uh, nothing at all. We just had a point, you know, in our flight plan and our floor flight and stuff. And it was uh, definitely harder than we thought. We, at this point, we were down low still and had to, you know, navigate around more canyons and ridges and stuff to get there. I just want to interject here real quick. Mr. Schmel is not giving himself the due credit. So after <laughs> being there for 30 minutes hovering over this thing, I watched him pass. I swear on my life, I looked up forward when we were transitioning, and he's passing the controls over to uh, to Mr. Ombi. I watched his shoulders come from up near his ears and finally <laughs> settle down to where shoulders should really sit. That's awesome. Like that, That's how tensed up he was this whole time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's no like, hey, you want to take a break between this hoist? Yeah. You hey, might take the controls for yeah, a second. Adam, you got this for a second, man. I'm going to just adjust my uh, my helmet real quick. Nope. Yeah, my earplug. Yeah, yeah you're not touching. <laughs> you can't, I can't I can't let go. Wow. So yeah, then we, we landed at Weaverville once we found it, and it was kind of surreal, like um, shutting down. And it was minutes, within minutes, you know, um, of us shutting down. And I think Graham said a couple quick words to the guys, but those reach helicopters were spinning up, and they had them you know, in there and out of there so quick. Like it was like, I got out of the helicopter and it was just quiet. All of a sudden everything was dark and there were some other firefighters there. They'd set up like a fire camp at that airport. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. You, yeah. Did they, like. they host you guys and, uh, hand you cold beer at the end of the whole, the whole time. Wish. Well, we got some recliners to sleep on, but oh, no yeah. beer. Yeah. Coffee in the morning. Coffee in the morning. They were very accommodating. I gotta give I gotta give all the love in the world to these guys. They they were up. They had no clue that they were gonna take home (laughs) the four orphans uh, at the end of this night back to their house. So we ended up just straggling along with them like lost puppies. Oh, nice. You just parked the helicopter in Weaverville. Like, yeah, this is tomorrow's problem. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah we locked it up and we're like, hey, our boss told us we're coming home with you tonight. And they're like, oh, okay. Okay. Hop in. Wow, guys. Have, uh, so have you heard or ever gotten any feedback from that fire crew from that fateful night? No, I tried to get in contact with them. Um, I talked to uh, somebody with the Forest Service that was uh, very, very, you know, very appreciative. Um, but the fire crew that we picked up or the guys, they were with a contracted crew. Um, so I ca- tried to call that company and they would not return my call. And uh, I think it was Shortly after our, they did an after action report, and that um, that company apparently should not have put their guys in that position and didn't have any, you know, very good uh, medevac plan for if anything went wrong. So I think they were in danger of uh, losing their contract with the Forest Service over this event, mm-hmm. um, which is all. That's the only reason I can think that they would not call me back. So I and I even on my several voicemails like, hey, this isn't, you know. I'm not calling as part of the Coast Guard. I'm just calling as a, a guy that wants to see how these, these guys are doing and, you know, possibly talk to them type of a thing. So yeah. that was kind of a bummer, but, um, you know, that's politics. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah, above my head. Yeah, they didn't do their ORM before they went to work. and yeah. <laughs> No, exactly. Yeah, I guess I guess that's the nature of our work sometimes. So you, you rarely get to talk to that person you drop off at the hospital. Yep. All right. Well, guys, um, that was fascinating. Thank you very much for sharing that story with us. 
Uh, I'm on my third beer now because it was <laughs> such an invigorating tale. You guys have any other parting shots for pilots, uh, mechs, swimmers out there that might be listening to this podcast? How Maybe how can you prepare? Um, just for, you know, pretty much all pilots, aircraft commanders, first pilots, co-pilots, they'll be aircraft commanders someday. Um, one thing, a discussion I had with Commander Hillary after this all went down and a uh, couple of the reasons he let us go that night is uh, I had been on a case prior to this, um, obviously not a forest fire or anything, but um, had made the call that we weren't the best asset and uh, did not affect a rescue and elected to have a pretty much a, a ropes team pull somebody off a cliff because we weren't you know, equipped well enough for the case. So he, that was apparently still in his mind that I had gotten on scene for a case before, you know, and made the, the judgment call that we weren't the best asset and it turned the case down, which can be, obviously you guys probably know also, it's a hard thing to do. Like you get on scene, you just want to help people. We all do. Um, so I know he trusted, you know, I guess my judgment and risk, continuous risk assessment. Um, and then also, you know, just training, like we had flown together a few times. And we, you know, we're up at one of our higher elevation uh, airports, Neyland. And together, me and Commander Hillary were both like working on power management, trying to transfer stuff we had learned from HATS to the 65 and stuff like that. So that also played a role into it. So, you know, for any of the pilots, like, you know, train for situations you don't think of. Uh, challenge yourself. And then also, you know, try and always exercise good judgment, good risk assessment, because you never know when, you know, stuff you've done in the past is going to play into uh, your ops boss making a decision to let you go try to do a case like this. So I think that's, uh, that's all I got. Yeah, it was awesome. You guys didn't seem like, uh, or didn't feel constrained by kind of like the given operating rules, like the way to do hoist and everything. Um, considering the lad poos and stripping out, uh, battle stripping the helicopter and everything. Uh, I feel like as much as like the lad poo is the takeaway from the story for uh, as like a success, it's also just thinking outside the box a little bit and having a good like healthy discussion as a crew. Like, hey, how how can we do this differently or smarter? Mm-hmm. I think that that's probably one of the biggest takeaways, at least on the swimmer side as well, is uh, is having the ability to you know obviously we're trying to expand the AST rate, right? We're trying to send guys to trainings that are new and kind of untested waters for us. Um, operationally, I think that it's probably one of the, our biggest assets is to send guys to different trainings, see new things, to try out things uh, that we're not necessarily used to on our everyday, you know, RT4s. So I think probably what was important for me out of this was realizing that uh, exactly what you said, out-of-the-box thinking and how can we do these different thing, even if it's just something you heard about another, another crew doing some, uh, somewhere, if it can be applied to what you're facing at that moment and you can do it safely, I think that, you know, commands allowing their crews to make those operational decisions is probably one of the, one of the best skills that we have in the Coast Guard, one of the best assets. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, kind of, I think that wraps it up for us over here. We really appreciate your time, guys. This this is a great discussion, and and thanks for sharing your story with us. Yeah, thanks, gentlemen. Quite quite the story. Hopefully, we got a couple of promotion points out of that. Yeah, if you ever flying in six five six one, just remember what happened on that fateful night back in. Uh, well, you guys tell me when was September, that? September, last September. Yeah, September, last September. 
Super six one. <laughs> yeah, super six one. And, uh, and Hardy, congrats, guys. Like, there's, I feel like there's not that many uh, normal SAR cases that are outside of hurricanes that that get the uh, recognition that that you guys got with the uh, DFCs and the air medals. So, Hardy, congratulations to all four of you, and and uh, stay safe out there in Humboldt, and and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hopefully, it's a quiet night for you. Yeah, yeah, Derek. Hope you have to go fly. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having us.